Hey, good morning and welcome. And we're in the middle of a new series called Lessons on Courage. And as Pastor Grace mentioned last weekend, this was a series that we selected months ago before everything began to unravel on us. And it's kind of reassuring to know that God knew exactly what we needed before we arrived at this moment. Because if you're feeling at all what the rest of the world is feeling right now, there's a lot of fear and anxiety. It's risen to all new levels in the world today. You know, with the pandemic, it seems like every single news story we get each day uh, presents us with new issues, new problems, new things to worry about. And these things are very unsettling. They're unprecedented, they're new issues, and the, uh, the amount of uncertainty and things that we don't know about, well, it's it creates a lot of fear in people's minds. What's really going to happen next? I don't know. But one of the things that you see regularly in Scripture is this message from God. If you read through the narrative of Scripture, you'll hear this familiar phrase spoken over and over again by God and His messengers. Do not be afraid. Do not fear. God, oftentimes, when he speaks those messages, he's not mad at us. He's not trying to confront something that's necessarily wrong with us, but he's trying to open up our perspectives to see something bigger, something greater. And when we see and we understand what God is about in these moments, there is less to fear because we understand that God is still the one in control. He has a plan and he is working something out. And that's what we're going to talk about more today as we enter into message two in this series. Today we're going to be talking about facing fear. Facing the fear in our lives. And in order to do that, we're going to go through uh, a story um, and we're going to travel with the Apostle Peter. We're going to go through some of his story and some of the dynamics that he faced uh, in order to see what God has to speak say to us in this moment of fear and anxiety. Um, so a couple of different things. Uh, our outline for the morning will go like this. First, I'd like to give us some background on what Peter's life was like. So if you're not familiar with who he was or his relationship with Jesus, we'll go through that and we'll talk a little bit about the dynamic of fear in our lives today. Then second, we're going to go through John chapter 21. It's a pivotal story in the gospel narrative and teaches us, and in it, God teaches us some really critical things to know about courage and fear. And finally, as we wrap up today, uh, I've invited a friend to share with us. So Dr. Jenny Wang is going to share uh, some tips and pointers with us in order to help us to address some of the anxiety that you and I might be experiencing in our lives today. But first of all, we're going to start with Peter's story. So again, if you're not familiar with who Peter was or who, or how he interacted with Jesus, when Jesus first came on the scene, he called together 12 disciples. These were people who were going to spend time with him, learn from him, and in effect, go and do what he did and extend the ministry that he was uh, doing. Peter was one of the closest disciples. He was formerly a fisherman. 
he dropped his nets, he followed after Jesus, and then he began this life of adventure. Now, Peter was unusual in the sense that he had this unusual dynamic of saying things before he thought them through. He said things kind of brashly. And at times, this would lead to profound insights. He said some profound theological truths, maybe even more than he realized in that moment. But he also said things that he deeply regretted, things that, uh, that Jesus even had to rebuke him over. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed and he went to the cross, on the final night that Jesus was preparing his disciples for this transition, he repeated this message that he'd been trying to get across to his disciples over and over again. The plan of God was this. He was going to the cross. He was going to die. And on the third day, God would raise him from the dead. Now, up until this point, the disciples didn't listen to this message. They ignored Jesus. They would talk about who was the greatest. They would just they would not receive this well. But on this night, when he took him to the upper room and we settled them down, they were listening and all ears and eyes were on Jesus because this was the moment he was passing on to them his final words. And when Peter heard this message again, he spoke and he said this response that is recorded in John chapter 13. He says, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. You see, Peter was absolutely committed, 100%. He was sold out. He was going to follow Jesus to the very end. And he did this with his heart, and he spoke this from his heart. Now, later that night, everything began to unravel. Jesus took his disciples out from the upper room. They were going to a place where they can pray. And he asked his disciples, stay here for a while and watch while I go to pray. Now, unfortunately, the disciples began to fall asleep. They weren't really paying attention. They, they were struggling. They wanted to do this, but they, they couldn't keep up. And Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, another one of the twelve, went out and he betrayed Jesus, and he led an angry mob that came to arrest Jesus. In this showdown, in this terrible night, all the disciples scattered, even Peter. And as they scattered, Jesus was arrested. He was taken, he was beaten, he was unfairly tried uh, by the religious leaders in Jerusalem, they brought false testimony before him, and their plan to have him arrested and killed and brought to the cross was unfolding. Someone started a fire, and he approached the fire, and he tried to follow Jesus from a distance. And all of a sudden, somebody recognized him. It was a servant girl. And he says, weren't you with Jesus? And Peter absolutely denies it. He goes, I I don't know the guy. I, I, I don't know. Moments later, this happens again. Somebody else recognizes Jesus and uh, re recognizes Peter was with Jesus. And it's not hard because Peter was one of the 12. He was one of the closest disciples. He says, weren't you 
with Jesus. And again, he doesn't he denies it a second time. Then it happens one third time. Somebody recognizes Peter. Weren't you with Jesus? You're you're Galilean, aren't you? Your accent gives you away. A lot of Jesus' disciples at the time were Galileans, and Peter was Galilean. And that third time, Peter denies Jesus. He lies. He says he doesn't know the man. And then at that moment, a rooster crows. Jesus had warned him earlier in the night that that would be a sign that he would, Peter would deny him three times before the rooster crowed. Peter leaves that scene. He goes out and he weeps bitterly. He's just betrayed the one he loves. He's just gone back on his words. He's lied. He's done everything that was against his own values. Now, as we're entering into Peter's story today, I wanted to say four things regarding fear. Four things to understand about the nature of fear. And the first is this. Fear in itself is not inherently a bad emotion. It's not necessarily bad. Fear just happens when we see something that is a threat or a danger to ourselves. And so we respond in a certain way. We naturally fear things and that's a good thing that helps us to survive. In fact, when people don't have the fear response, it's a bad thing. We've seen this happen, uh, like for instance, with young kids. Young kids who do not fear the water may jump right into a swimming pool because they don't know any better. And that's a bad thing. Or young kids might run into the street not fearing oncoming traffic because they're not, they're not aware of the dangers that go with traffic. That's a bad situation. Fear can actually be a very good thing. Number two, fear and anxiety are deeply related. Now, uh, you may have noticed I've used anxiety a, a couple times here and there. Fear and anxiety are very uh, tied closely together. Uh, psychologists sometimes like to make the differentiation between the two. The fear is over specific things. So, for instance, uh, earlier today I went to the bathroom and I saw a wasp. A wasp was just sitting there in the bathroom and I had that fear response. The first thing I did was I turned around, closed the bathroom door, and I went to grab um, a zapper because I was going to kill it, right? So I was afraid. I didn't want to get stung. That's a fear response that happens when we see a specific threat. Anxiety happens over a vague threat. We're not exactly sure what may happen, but our minds begin imagining things that could happen. And it's really important for us sometimes to be at that heightened level of anxiety because we have things to take care of. So for instance, young parents might be in a heightened sense of anxiety because young kids might do exactly what I just mentioned. They may jump in a pool, they may go walking across the street. And so a number of different things might happen. You don't know exactly what may happen, but there's an elevated sense of anxiety because you know that a bunch of different scenarios could take place. 
Third, fear can lead us to failure. Fear can lead us to sin. And this is why our talk today is so important. Fear, in, the, in Peter's case, is exactly what led him to compromise and to lie and to deny Jesus. Under threat, he didn't know exactly what to do. And when people began to identify him as a follower of Jesus, he was deeply afraid. He didn't know what to do. And in some ways, yeah, that was a good uh, response because a fear response was necessary because who knows what could have happened to him. But in that moment, he allowed fear to become his master. And that's when he began to compromise. That's when he began to lie and deny Jesus and deny the very one that he pledged to follow even to the end. Again, this is one of the reasons why it's so important for us to pay attention to when fear might begin to take over in our lives because it has the potential to derail our faith and have us go in directions that we never meant to go in the first place. Finally, number four, fear can lead us to an unhealthy focus on a threat and on survival. And if you've ever wondered why Peter, in the very same night, can pledge his love and devotion to Jesus and at the same time go back on those very commitments, it's because of this very dynamic. Fear can lead us to an unhealthy focus on threat and survival. And when threat and when survival becomes the only thing that Peter was thinking about, he went back on his very commitments to God. Now, if you stick with Peter's story, this is important to recognize. Fear was not the end of his journey. And even though he had this deep moment of failure with Jesus, if you follow his story, especially as it unfolds in the beginning chapters of Acts, there's an amazing transformation. Peter moves from a life kind of like this cowardly moment to becoming one of the most courageous disciples of his time. He actually testifies before the same people that crucified Jesus that Jesus is the one. He speaks to power without fear, and he's able to say this. And in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, when the religious leaders, the same ones who crucified Jesus, see Peter and John, they are astonished. Verse 13 of chapter 4 of Acts says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Fear and defeat are not the end of Peter's story. And the question for us is really, how did this happen? How did Peter go from point A of living in this moment of fear-based cowardice where he denied Jesus to being a fierce defender of the face where he proclaimed to power 
the Lordship of Jesus Christ. How did he make this transition? How did this change happen? It's important for us to pay attention to this now because I believe John chapter 21 holds the clue for how some of us can learn to live a more courageous life of faith. So let me set the story up for you now in John chapter 21. So Jesus has risen from the dead. He's made appearances to the disciples and he, in various ways and shapes and forms, he has appeared to the women who followed after him, to the men who followed after him. And so the disciples know that Jesus has risen. Now, Peter um, one day decides that he wants to go fishing. It's not clear why he wants to go fishing. He was a fisherman for most of his life. And so he wants to go back to the ocean, maybe because it's, it's like one of those things, you know, when the pandemic is over, what's the first thing you want to do, right? So in some ways, now the threat and the, the danger has passed and Peter is thinking, what's one of the first things that he wants to do? He wants to go back and he wants to fish. He tells the rest of the disciples this and a few of them want to join him as well. They spend the night fishing and they don't really catch anything. Then in the morning, a figure appears, a person is on the shore and he says, friends, did you catch anything? They reply, no. And he suggests to them, why don't you drop your nets on the right side of the boat and see what happens. And as they do, they begin to pull up a huge amount of fish. It's so massive, they can't fully haul it into their boat and they have to come in. And it's clear at that point, everyone knows it's Jesus. This is what happened earlier when the disciples were first called and when Peter was first called to become a fisher of men. In, this, in those encounters with Jesus, he knew that Jesus had something incredible to offer. And the same thing happened again. Now the disciples go to the shore, they have breakfast with Jesus, an amazing scene unfolds, all except for this one, um, one point of tension that hasn't been resolved. You see, Peter and Jesus haven't had a conversation about what happened. Have you ever had that kind of awkward moment with a friend or, or maybe a family member? There's a conversation that sort of needs to happen, but it hasn't really happened just yet, right? Peter and Jesus are in that kind of moment. Peter has betrayed Jesus. He knows that Jesus has risen from the dead, but they haven't had a conversation about that fateful night. Some of us have had this kind of awkward relationship with God as well. And we haven't talked to God maybe in weeks, maybe in months, maybe even in years, because there's been something that's been awkward that's held us back. The good thing that happens next is really insightful. Jesus begins to break the ice. And he approaches Jesus, uh, Jesus, Jesus approaches Peter, and he says this. Let's read along in this passage in John chapter 21. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, 
do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, what's going on here? What's this interplay all about? Jesus is mending the relationship. Jesus has come to bring repair. He is taking Peter back to that fateful night where he betrayed him, and he's reliving those moments with him. And this is obvious because he asks him three times, just like Peter denied him three times. And it's on that third time when Jesus asks him, Peter, do you love me? That those memories come flooding back into Peter's life. Peter knows exactly what, what Jesus knows. He's reliving that moment of betrayal, and that's why it hurts. But this is really important to understand. This is not the pain of offense. These are wounds that heal. And this is what Jesus is doing for Peter. He's bringing him back into that moment so that he can bring healing, redemption, repair. And most importantly, he wants to bring love. This is a moment of love. And even though it hurts in that moment for Peter to go back, what he experiences here and now in this moment, in this interplay, in this conversation with Jesus, he's experiencing grace and love at the most profound level as Jesus takes him back to that moment of wounding, to that moment of sin, to that moment of failure. And Jesus is saying, I know. I was there too. It's okay. And what's more, when Jesus begins to say, then Peter, feed my sheep. What he's doing in that moment is he's reinstating him, giving him a mission once again, letting Peter know he has a role to play in the kingdom of God. He's restoring him and letting him know it's okay. I still value you. You still have a role to play in my mission. And here we reach our main lesson for the day. This is where it all comes together. You see, great courage comes from great love. Great courage comes from great love. 
This is how Peter was able to be bold in front of those accusers on that day when he had to testify to the, the religious leaders who had arrested him and were beating him down and were asking him to stop saying things about Jesus. Peter wouldn't stop. He proclaimed the name of Jesus. And why was he able to be so bold? Because he knew the great love of God. Great love moved him into this great place of courage. And if we want to understand what it means to live a life of courage, we have to understand that it begins with the love of God. John, uh, the Apostle John, who was also the one who testified courageously on that same day alongside of Peter, wrote these words. And I think they're really important for us to understand. There is no fear in love. Listen to that once again. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. These verses are part of a longer passage of scripture which in which John is talking about punishment. So it makes sense to address some of these things. And if you go back into the context, they might be a little weird for you to get them out of context at this point. But here is the principle that John is trying to teach. There is no fear in love. Great courage comes from great love. So as we wrap up today, three quick things regarding courage. Three quick lessons on courage. And the first is this. Be assured that God does not want you to live by fear. God does not want you to be, um, to be mastered by fear. This is a wonderful starting place for our journey to move from cowardice to courage. For those of us who are gripped by a sense of fear and we want to move and make progress on the journey to courage, it's important to start here, to know that God desires for us to live a life of courage, not of fear. Sometimes we use phrases like this, I can't, or I won't, or there's no way. It's important to notice if we happen to use these phrases frequently, then it might be a signal that there's a deeper issue going on, one where fear has taken residence in our souls. We can't, and we won't, and there's no way, because the truth is, fear has taken residence in our souls, and it prevents us from moving forward in faith. And <clears throat> in these days of constant bad news regarding the virus and about our economic times, fears about getting sick, about our loved ones getting sick, fears about what's going to happen with world hunger and all the different other disasters that are like collateral damage to this virus. It's very natural for you and for me to live lives that are very fearful right now. But be assured of this. God does not desire us to, to live mastered by fear. 
So in the New Testament, Paul gives these words to the apostle. Uh, so in the New Testament, Paul gives these words to Timothy. And these are really important words because he was facing some very tense times and fear was a very natural thing for Timothy to go through. And these same words apply to you and to me today because the same spirit that God gave to Timothy is the same spirit that he gives to you and me. Listen carefully. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid. It gives us power, love, and self-discipline. I like the way that the NRSV translate these same verses. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice. God did not want us to live according to fear. When you feel fear beginning to well up inside you again and tell you to shrink back, to be afraid, to give up, to turn around and go the other way, it's important to be able to name and acknowledge this so this might be a little bit uh, unusual for some of the uh, some of you but self-talk is really important for me and sometimes I really need to be reminded of this this is a phrase and this type of this type of phrase has really helped me I will not live by fear I choose love it's important when we feel those feelings of fear welling up inside of our souls to be able to, to say this and assert this. I will not live by fear. I choose love. And you can say that with me. I will not live by fear. I choose love. Again, for some of you, self-talk like this might be a little bit unusual, being a little, a little bit strange for you. Um, but one of the most powerful things we can do is just acknowledge what God has already given us and claim it and live by that. Okay, second thing, all right, regarding courage. Courage grows as we face our fears with God's love. Courage grows as we face our fears with God's love. So in the story that we read today, and it said that Peter was hurt when Jesus said a third time, Do you love me? It's important again to emphasize that this hurt was not the wounding of an offense against Peter. Jesus' intention was not there to make Peter feel bad. He was going into this moment with Peter in order to provide healing. He was there to heal his soul. And when we understand that God's motive for us is love and not necessarily just pain for pain's sake, we begin to open up new doorways for how our relationship with God can progress. Understanding that God sometimes has to take us through those painful moments, through desert times, can be one of the most freeing things in our lives because it allows God to bring a whole new dimension of healing and joy into our lives. I've shared this with you many times before in the past that you know, when my dad passed away, and this was a little over 10 years ago, uh, I slipped into a time of depression. 
And it was a really difficult time for me. I didn't know how to express it, didn't know how to talk about it. I really began to close up and I, I really began to struggle with my prayer life. I didn't know how to pray to God. In fact, I felt like I was a million miles from God, like my prayers were just going up and just falling back flat to the earth again. I sought the counsel of some friends, which were very helpful. Some of those friends were counselors and gave me great counsel in this time. And at one point, I sought a spiritual director with our denomination. And during that time, when I spoke with the spiritual director, the director gave me some words that I have not forgotten to this day. And even though it was 10 years ago, these were very important words for me. The director said that it was possible that God was waiting for me in the pain. That God wanted me to enter into this with him, to face that pain with him. That God was waiting in the pain. And it wasn't just a dare or a challenge. I mean, I took it that way at first. I have understood over the years that those words were a gift. That God wanted to overcome those moments of fear in my life. The fear of that pain so that he could bring a whole new level of grace and love into my life. And over the years, that is exactly what I have experienced. And I just want to encourage some of you in, in that spot today where your fear of pain and your fear of wounds and hurts, I can't imagine what you've gone through. But I want you to know this. God has not abandoned you. In fact, he wants to love you through those moments of pain. And in that, there is grace and there is love. And there is a whole new life waiting for you on the other side of it. God loves you that much. Okay, the third thing I wanted to share with you today regarding courage is this. Courage grows as we refocus our attention on loving others. Courage grows as we refocus our attention on loving others. You know, as a pastor, I do a fair amount of public speaking. It's kind of what I do. I'm a teacher, I'm a leader, so I'm required a lot of times to get up to say things in public. And um, over the years, some people have assumed that this comes to me fairly naturally or that I kind of like the attention. And to be honest, nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, most pastors and leaders that I've talked to in the church <laughs> don't really like public speaking. We do it not because um, we enjoy it, but because of this, because God calls us and we love other people. We love sharing the word of God with people who need it. One of the things that God had taught me, one of the things that God taught me early on in my kind of pastoral calling to overcome the fear of public speaking was this. Focus on God and focus on loving other people. 
When I get up to share the Word of God, I am always mindful that there is someone who needs to hear Scripture. There is always somebody who needs to hear about God. And when I focus on that, instead of focusing on myself, I always feel the fear begin to, to ebb and to go away. It begins to dissipate because what's important in that moment is not how I come across. What's really most important is that God has something to say to folks. And that moves me, that drives me forward. It's because of love. Now, it's very natural for us in this time of the pandemic to focus our energies and our attentions on self-preservation, on protecting ourselves. But God has given us a, a higher calling. He's called us to love our neighbors. That's so insightful and so encouraging because the very command gives us the courage to go out and do better. The secret to courage is not just to manufacture feelings within our own hearts to, to become brave all of a sudden. It is to focus exactly on the words that God has given us. Go and love. And when you go and love, you're going to find that the courage that you need is right there beside you. God will provide it for you. Go and love your neighbor. So my challenge for you today is this. As we end our time together, love on other people. Love other people. And when you love your neighbors, you're going to discover the courage that you need. Take a moment to pray, to think, to assess. Is there someone in your life, maybe a neighbor, maybe a coworker, a family member, somebody who needs some attention this week? And when you feel those feelings of fear well up inside your soul, focus on that activity. Go in and bring, go and bring them encouragement. Go and love on them. Send them a note, call them up, send them a text, Tell them that they are being thought of. Tell them that you're praying for them. Telling that, tell them that you care about them. And when you do, you will begin to discover the way to courage. Now, before we go today, uh, I've asked one of our mission partners, Jenny Wang, to share with us. Jenny is a licensed psychologist. She's got a lot of experience with this. And she has some really wise words to share with us about how to deal with anxiety in our lives. Hi everyone, my name is Jenny Wang and my husband is Jason Yang. And we have a first grader named Evie and a four-year-old named Theo. And today, Pastor Ted wanted me to share a little bit about how the COVID-19 pandemic has impacted our family and how we've been coping with it. Um, for us, anxiety has definitely heightened in the last several weeks. Jason and I's industries have both been affected by the lockdown and quarantine. And so we're trying to um, understand the uncertainty that is coming for the next few months for us economically and financially, as well as um, what it looks like for us to eventually return back to work. Um, in terms of anxiety, we have some regarding our family. We can't see them and they both are in Houston. And so that has been very difficult and we're trying our best to keep them safe. 
In terms of coping, we have um, found that maintaining a schedule has been so important for us. And so waking up and getting ready for the day and having predictable things that we do like family pipe rides and time scheduled for breaks has been pivotal for us to get through the days with some semblance of joy at, or at most happiness. Um, and we're going back to the basics. Are we drinking water? Are we sleeping? Are we eating well? And are we moving our body? So those are the things that we're really relying on during this time as a family to cope. Pastor Ted also wanted me to share about, um, as a psychologist, how do we think about or conceptualize anxiety and cope with it during this time? And I always tell my clients that anxiety is not inherently good or bad. It's actually a warning system for us so that it helps us develop an awareness of ourselves. It encourages us to communicate with others and it motivates us to make action or make changes to our lives. And so anxiety becomes counterproductive when it becomes this ruminative cycle where that energy isn't being discharged into some type of action or change. And so if we feel like we're stuck in a hamster wheel where we're constantly worrying about uncertainty, about catastrophes and what if scenarios, then that's when anxiety becomes not effective anymore. And so I would say if media and reading the news is triggering for you, then I would reduce and set boundaries around that time. Check only in the morning or check only at night. Um, don't spend all your day reading the news because it can be very overwhelming. Talking to somebody about your anxiety and fears is extremely powerful, and so I would encourage that as well. If you like to write or journal, that's also a really effective way to process in an uninhibited sort of way what's going on internally. And labeling and naming the anxiety becomes extremely powerful too, because it offers some type of psychological distance from it so that you don't feel like you're going down the rabbit hole. Grounding is a technique that I often teach my clients. It is um, understanding what's going on and bringing your mind into the present moment instead of the rumination that stays in our minds. So what do you see? What do you taste? What do you touch? Um, what do you smell? What do you hear? Those senses allow you to bring your, yourself out of the mind and into the body and into the present moment. So you're not ruminating as much. I would schedule breaks into your day, so be intentional about taking 30 minutes, 20 minutes, just to take some time off. And um, you know, also being able to just step back from what's going on, especially when it's really stressful, juggling home life and work. And finally, I would say that if you feel like your anxiety is getting to the point where you're no longer able to function through your day and get through it, you're having panic attacks, or maybe you're crying all day, or you're having a lot of lethargy and it's keeping you from really getting out of bed and being productive, then I would say it might be time to see a licensed mental health professional. And most of us have moved through to virtual video conference sessions. So I would suggest that if um, you find that it's becoming more difficult to cope. So hopefully these tips are helpful and I wish everybody health and safety during this time and we can't wait to see you all soon. Thanks. Jenny, thanks for taking the time to share with us some of those words, um, really taking them to heart. I especially appreciate those words about grounding. Uh, it gives me some things to think about and to practice this week as I enter a new week of challenges. 
Uh, as we go today, I'm going to lead us out in our sending prayer. And then afterwards, uh, you'll see some words on the screen. These are some discussion questions that you may want to take with you, with your small group or maybe with your household or with your family. Encourage you to get into discussion about the topic of courage and how we can face our fears and how we can journey with God into a life of greater courage. But first, let's pray as we go. Loving God, through all our years, let the church be a community where we learn about love and practice it, where we envision peace and work to build it, where we meet partners in faith who wish to abandon everything that cheapens our discipleship, where we discover gifts and offer them. May your spirit guide us toward joy and generosity. In Jesus' name, in the way of Jesus, amen.